Are you ready for some wisdom? Need a little insight for your life today? Are you ready for a conversation with someone who's a little further down the trail? Someone who has life experience that she is ready to share from the heart? Today, we're going to begin a series of conversations that we'll have in the coming weeks and months with people I call Saints in Winter. I'll tell you more about that, but get ready for someone I met almost 40 years ago. Her name is Jeanette Oak. She is a writing legend in the world of Christian fiction, and you're going to hear a no-holds-barred journey through the ups, the downs, the circuitous route of God's grace in her life. I can't wait. Let's get going. Thanks for joining us on this Monday edition of the program. Thanks to our teammates behind the scenes. Ryan McConaughey is doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Anthony will be answering your calls today. And thanks for your support. We can't do what we do at the back fence without you. This month, our thank you is a book by Ron Hutchcraft, A Life That Matters. If there's a stirring that you feel in your heart, a stirring for more, a stirring to make the greatest possible difference with the rest of your life. This is a great resource that will both motivate and challenge you to turn your lifeboat around. Uh, That comes from the story of the Titanic that he told a couple of weeks ago here on the program. And that's a picture of our lives and the people around us who need the life-saving message of the gospel. So give a gift of any size. We'd love to send you a life that matters as our thank you for your support, call or click through 866-95-FABRY or chrisfabrylive.org. Scroll down, you see how you could be a, a friend or partner right there. chrisfabrylive.org or 866-953-2279. If you have listened to this program for any length of time, you know I enjoy talking with listeners and guests who are a little older than me, One of our favorite guests of all time, Elsie Young, made it to 105 and a half. (laughs) I think we often squander the wisdom that's available to us. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And I got to thinking after I was reading Psalm 71 a few weeks ago about those who are in the last season of life, however long that season is, and what they might say to us if we'll slow down long enough to listen. Psalm 71, 9 says, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Verse 18, So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. And verse 20, You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. So in the devotion that, that followed that psalm, the writer says, and I think it's Dane Ortland, he says, this is the prayer of a saint in winter. As we continue to age, this psalm instructs us in how to walk with God. So I'm going to reach out to some people who have walked with God for a lot of years. Some of them, you're going to know their names. Some you won't. But my hope is that we will listen and learn whether you're in spring, summer, fall, or winter yourself. A few months ago, I heard our guest today speak to writers at the Christie Award ceremony, and I thought she would be a perfect first Voices of Wisdom. That's what we've, instead of Saints in Winter, we've chosen Voices of Wisdom. She would be a first guest, and she is. Jeanette Oak pioneered inspirational fiction and is the leading author in the category today. Love Comes Softly was her first novel. 
She's now the best-selling author of more than 70 books. She receives fan mail from around the world, answers each letter personally. She received the 1992 President's Award from the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association for her significant contribution to Christian fiction, won the CBA Life Impact Award in 1999, has been awarded the Gold Medallion Award for fiction. She and her husband, Edward, have four grown children and enjoy many grandchildren. They live in Canada. Jeanette, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? I am doing just fine. Thank you very much. And Is that I, true? I heard that wonderful introduction. I thought, boy, I'd like to meet that person. <laughs> and you're going to today. Is that really true? Do you answer all of your mail? Real. Do you answer your mail personally? I do. But the mail isn't like it used to be. Now that we have the computer and everything else, they, there aren't as many letters that come through the mail anymore. So uh, the connections are done in a different way in this generation. Yes. You are six days away from your 89th birthday. How do you feel about that? Well, uh, I'm okay with it. I feel like I'm a lot older than I ever expected to be. I feel that God is still with me, with me, and that is the amazing thing. God has been good. It's been an exciting journey. There have been tough times along the path. But how blessed we are to have a God that we can trust. Yes. Aging, though, has that been a—have there been any surprises in aging for you? You know, I've always been in a large family, so I've watched a lot of people age over the years. I had a lot of of uh, uncles and aunts and, of course, my grandparents, my own folks. We all age in a little different way, and we all uh, age for a longer period of time. And so uh, there aren't too many surprises left, but... It has uh, blessed my heart that no matter what age you are at, God is still working in your life and still teaching things and honoring you as an individual, giving you ways to reach out to other people. So life can continue to be pretty exciting, even as you age. Absolutely. That's one of the things that I want to hear from you today, and that is how God is meeting you right here, right now. But I also want to go back to uh, where you grew up, in Champion, Alberta, hear about life back there on the prairie, and how that informed your writing and your life. So let me take a time out. We'll take a break. Jeanette Oak is with us today, and I, I just want to sit back and listen, and you may want to do the same, or you might want to ask her a question. 877-548-3675 is our number. 877-548-3675. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. Jeanette Oak was born February 18th of 1935. Jeanette Steves, her parents were living in Canada, Fred and Amy Steves. So right there in the middle of the Great Depression, here comes Jeanette, and they had no idea what was ahead. 
And we're going to find out a little bit more about her today. And um, I mentioned Love Comes Softly. That was the first novel. The first novel of her Canadian West series, When Calls the Heart, was published in 1983. And of course, that is the basis of the television series of that same name, When Calls the Heart. But I don't want to talk with you as much about your writing and the media and and everything that happened. I want to find out more about you. So take us back to Champion, Alberta, the Canadian prairie. What do you remember about, well, what's your first memory as a child? My first memory as a child, uh, I think the thing that I remember as I grew older was being outside with my older siblings with the wind blowing and they were chasing gophers. And I can see that in my mind's eye. There was a dog running along with us. But that was shortly before we moved away from the prairie. The prairie was in an awful situation at that point because of the depression and which was caused by the dryness. They were not able to grow crops. My parents already had three girls and a boy, and then my mother lost a child, another little boy. And it was at that time, my mother would have said, if she had been asked, if she believed in God, that yes, of course she did. But at the time that she lost her baby boy, in her grief, she went up into the roof uh, or to the uh, top of the the, uh, ladder there to lay on the hay. And she said, God, if you are really there, do something for me. And God did. And she came down with a knowledge that she was a child of God. So I was born to a Christian mother. And though she had a lot to learn about her faith, she was on the right trail. Shortly after we left the prairie and my dad moved us further north, as the government was encouraging farmers to do, up to an area where it would be easier to plant crops and be able to farm. He was a farmer. And as we moved up to that area, my mother had prayed for a church. And there was a little church that had been started by a lady in our area. So from the time that I arrived in that area, we had a church to go to. Go to, And it, it was amazing what that meant in our lives, of all of us as a family. Yes. So it wasn't that things got that much easier quickly. But as my father worked hard and as the crops came in, we were gradually able to make a living on the farm. Hmm. Now, you would have been around six years old or so when the World War II began. I assume in, in Canada it was the same, uh, Pearl Harbor, December 1941, that Canada was in it shortly after that. Is that right? Actually, Canada got in it a little ahead of the U.S. because of the fact that England was involved. Okay. So, yes, the war was very real here, and I remember much about the war years. And the strange thing is that as I look back at them, uh, 
I have a feeling of nostalgia in a way. It was a time when everybody was together on something. Neighbors supported neighbors. We had neighbor boys who had already gone overseas. And there was that feeling of unity in the community. Even though we were all still poor, there was that feeling that was drawing us together and everyone had their ear to the radio and their hearts in prayer that God would be with those who were over there. So there there were some things about the war, as hard as it was, and as fearful as I was, every time a plane would go over, I would be terrified. There were times when we had to cover our windows at night to make sure there would be no light coming out, and that was to hide ourselves if ever there was any uh, reason for that. But it was something that we all did together. And when we lost one of the neighbor boys uh, over there, we all went to the church and supported the family. So as terrible as war is, if you look for it, God can work even at those very, very difficult times. You mentioned radio. What do you remember about listening to the radio as a child? Well, it's interesting because that was our family time. We we did have a radio. That was one thing we had. It was reasonable in price. So this would be our time together, together at the end of the day and listen to Fibber McGee and Molly and some of those very old, old shows. So the radio was important. And, of course, during the war, we always listened to the daily report. Where were the troops? How were things going? And there were many beautiful songs written in those war years that when I hear them even now, I get very nostalgic, and it brings tears. But uh, there was a lady in England by the name of Vera Lynn, we could listen to, and she sang these songs that just tugged at your heart. So radio is still a, a good memory for me. Yeah. And I think you just when you talk about the emotion, and even, you know, you can probably take yourself back and listen, think of those songs that Vera Lynn sang, and, and it will bring right. up that emotion. Um, is there... Right. Is there a song, is there a hymn that you sang as a child that has stayed with you through your entire life? Well, the song that Vera Lynn always uh, sang that brought tears was, uh, There'll Be Bluebirds Over the White Cliffs of Dover. And it was the promise of the end of the war, when things would be back to normal again, and the the little baby would go to sleep in his own little room. And and so that was on the social side of things. As far as uh, a hymn, there are many hymns, but the one that means probably the most to me is one that was more familiar to probably all of your listeners. Uh, Not too long ago, my niece sent me an email, and she had sent the hymn along, but I am not a techie, so I wasn't able to listen to it. 
And she phone, uh, got in touch with me to apologize that I couldn't hear it. And I said, it's okay. All I had to do was shut my eyes, and I could hear it, and I could see George Beverly Shea singing it. How great thou art. And when you come to the verse, but when I think of uh, God giving his son in my place, I'm putting my own words here, that it makes me weep. And it does. There is so much meaning in that song about what Christ has done on our behalf. And this is the song that stays with me day by day. How great thou art. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. That third verse is... And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings Amen. my soul. So the, the singing of the soul is just pondering the thought that God in his infinite holy and wisdom and righteousness and uh, otherness deigned to stoop so low as to not only love us, but give himself, spill his his son's blood for us is something. Uh, and you can talk more about that. But I love that hymn, and and that you mentioned George Beverly Shea is a is a wonder too, didn't he? Ever, and and he was from Canada as well, right? I don't know his birthplace, but I do know that when my brother, who was uh, a musician, very into music, and has done a lot of writing himself, when he and uh, my sister, my brother-in-law. My, lived in Chicago. They actually purchased George Beverly Hayes' uh, house. Did they really? And so uh, George Beverly Shea has meant a lot to our family in lots of ways, but he was such a big part of the Millie, Billy Graham Crusades. And uh, it he has brought so many wonderful hymns to the church that uh, we we just learn to appreciate him. Yes. Well, it says he is a. Uh, I'm looking it up here. He is a Canadian Canadian by birth, um, but he's a, he's a he was born in Winchester, Ontario, February first, nineteen oh nine. So okay, there you have. Well, it. that's something more for me to brag about now. <laughs> exactly. Um, so <laughs> I so hadn't you've... realized he was Canadian. That's You've wonderful. gotten us up to the war years. What about you decided that you would go to Mountain View Bible College? Were you when when were, did you become a Christian? I was 10 years old. I at that point in my life I had been going to Sunday school and church and vacation Bible college and I thought I was a Christian. I believed everything that I was taught and uh, realized that Christ had died for me. And yet, when I was 10 years old, our pastor at the time took uh, my sister and I down to a summer Bible camp. And it was there while the speaker was talking about the personal step that we need to take 
to make Christ our Savior. And I knew at that point that I hadn't done that yet. And so I struggled with it because this was what was normally done. You would be asked to go forward and kneel at the front. And I thought, oh, if I do that, everyone will think that I was lying about being a Christian before. I thought I was. And so I would be exposing myself. This was the little thing that that the enemy was whispering to me. Finally, she said, well, you raise your hand. And I thought, oh, I can do that. Everybody's got their eyes shut. So I raised my hand. And then what did she do? She said, come forward. <laughs> so I did. And I had a younger sister with me at the time, and so she went forward with me. And we knelt, and I prayed that prayer for forgiveness. So from then on, I was looking toward preparing myself, my life, to be of service to my God. And there was the Bible college in our area, a very small Bible college. My older siblings had attended So it seemed like a natural that I would go there as well. I did work for a couple of years first before I went so that I would have the funds. And then I was off to the Bible college and I felt like I was in a paradise. It was so, so special in my life. And there were all these young people that were sharing their feelings and and their direction from God. And it was a wonderful place. We had great teachers. So it was a very, very important part of my journey. What did you think? I thank the Lord for it so many times. What did you think you would eventually do then and, and, and where you would live? Did you have an idea about the future? I was a little confused because I had sort of had the feeling that I was to be a pastor's wife. And the young man who uh, started courting me was planning to be an engineer. So I thought, am I mixed up? What What's going on here? Well, he was also in Bible college at that time. And uh, then he decided he would leave and go get his engineering training. So he left for a year, but he was only out there one year, and he decided that God was calling him to the ministry. So things did fall into the proper order after all. (laughs) Now, is that, is who you just told us about, is that Edward? That is Edward, yes. Edward Oak, O-K-E. And so he was going to Mountain View Bible College, and then later on, he became president of that college. Is that right? He did. He did, yes. We had a few years in ministry, and then at a very young age, he was asked by our denomination to take the role as, of president. And it was a big job for someone that age. Yes. I look back and I marvel that uh, he was able to accomplish all that he did in the way that he did. Um, he was had a strong faith and and a strong sense of responsibility. And uh, so he was able to keep up with that pressure. Hmm. How did you know he was the one? How did you know that Edward was it? 
Well, he told me. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I did a lot of praying about it. There were times when I wasn't quite sure. He was uh, a very outgoing person, and uh, actually my sister, older sister June, when she had been at Bible college, she had worked for his mother as a cleaning lady. And so when Edward heard that I was coming to the college, he had quite liked my older sister. So he decided he would check me out. And I guess he was favorably impressed because it uh, wasn't long. Uh, he, we had a rule at the college at that point where you couldn't date in your first semester. So Edward's uncle had come up from the States and was having special meetings in the church. And Edward came to me and said, some of us are going to my house for lunch after the service tonight. Would you like to come? And I said, oh, sure. And after the service, when we left the church to go to his folks' house, I realized that all of the other young people with us were couples. And it was just Edward and I left. (laughs) And I hadn't realized this was a date of sorts. I just thought it was a group of young people. Okay, now hang on right there, because there's some young person who is listening who says, you got to tell me more about that. Jeanette Oak is our guest today at the Radio Backyard Fence. We're hearing some wisdom from her life. Here's our number, 877-548-3675. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. I've been telling you about CareNet for the last few months. They have a church engagement initiative because they really believe this pro-abundant life ministry, CareNet, at its heart is a discipleship issue. Women and men who are considering abortion need to become disciples of Jesus. They need the transformation that can only come from the gospel. And churches can help provide that kind of care, that individual care, as well as then if they decide to have the child, what a family can do. There are men who are learning how to become dads for the very first time through this ministry. So CareNet has developed Making Life Disciples, a program to equip churches to provide compassion, hope, help, and discipleship to women and men who are considering abortion. Go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org, and you can see uh, CareNet, the green button. we got a couple of places where you can click the green CareNet button today at chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. I'm just enthralled with Jeanette Oak. I have been for a long time, not only because she has kind of paved the way for inspirational fiction through the years, and has been really, really successful as a writer, but you hear her heart coming out here today. Becky says on Facebook, I love Jeanette Oak with an exclamation point. My sister-in-law gave me Love Comes Softly in the early 80s, and I was hooked. I now have on DVD the entire Love Comes Softly series. This conversation is so rich, learning precious nuggets from her life. So glad you had her on today, Chris. 
Well, I'm glad we are, too, having you on. And I'm thinking, Jeanette, of the the younger woman who's listening who says, you know, I've been looking, I've been wanting to be married for a long time, and I that hasn't happened to me. And how did it happen for you? So you, where I've heard it said, you know, just run toward Jesus, and if you see anybody else following along beside you, that might be the person. D- did that work for you? Well, it was so exciting for me to be uh, with a bunch of young people in the college. <clears throat> My college years are very precious to me. And <clears throat> coming up, growing up from a rather poor home, we admit that we were not rich at all, and college seemed rather out of reach. But with working a couple years and then a uh, little help from different people, I was able to get there, and it seemed like such a blessing to me. Edward was not in that kind of a circumstance. His parents lived in town. His dad was a businessman. His mom was a teacher. He had one sister. But they were what we would have considered a well-to-do family. So we came from a little bit of a different background. But he was very outgoing, wanted to serve the Lord, and uh, his, I love his family. We've lost both mom and dad, but they were wonderful people and have been a big part of my life over the years. Are your but sisters? He was not at all shy, and uh, he was. I at that point, I, I don't think I was shy either. I was rather outgoing, and I was usually. Uh, quite a happy person, and I think that impressed him. I was never down very much at all, and I was enjoying school so much. And so uh, he he did, quite quickly, sort of lay claim. And uh, we went together to college for a couple of years. Uh, the second year, we were actually engaged at Christmas time, and then He was still planning to be an engineer, so he went out to Vancouver for schooling. So we had to keep touch by letter mostly because we didn't have uh, the kind of phone service that we have today where everyone carried one with them. And then God spoke to him and called him into the ministry, and so I was quite comfortable with agreeing to be his wife. Hmm. We left right after our marriage pretty well and moved down to Indiana so he could further his education. So while he was going to school, I found a job down there. I was already familiar with banking, so I worked in a bank down there, and uh, he got his degree. We came back home and went into the ministry, But before we came back home, while we were still down there, uh, we found that we were expecting a baby. I had had some trouble physically, uh, and the doctor had thought that perhaps I would never be able to have a child. So this was big news. In fact, I remember Edward going out and coming home one evening with this pretty little baby garment. And he had, he said, I just happened to be going by this store. 
which of course was not quite the story. But in his excitement, he had gone in and the lady asked him, is it a boy or a girl? And he said, oh, it's a boy. And he came home and told me that. And I said, great, you're going into the ministry and you're lying already. (laughs) We had no clue what the baby was going to be. But he said, well, I think that I think it's going to be a boy. It was a boy, a big boy. And though it was a very troubled pregnancy, we had our son. But the very next morning, the doctor came to me. We had a doctor who was a wonderful person from our church, a young woman. And she came to me, and she had tears in her eyes. And he said, she said, Jeanette, we're having trouble with your baby. And it turned out that we lost that baby boy. It was very, very difficult for us. Uh, we had a wonderful big church that really stood behind us. There was much prayer and much care. But it was a very, very difficult thing to, to lose this child. Uh, our baby boy has never left Indiana. He is buried there in the cemetery in Elkhart. And uh, we now have a grandson named Brian in his memory but those were pretty dark days, very painful days. But God was with us. And even at that particular time, in fact, at that particular time, I realized how important it was to have a Heavenly Father who loved us and cared for us and was with us uh, and many, many friends in the church. That was such a blessing. And so... We were able to carry on, and we came back to Canada, went into the ministry, had another baby boy, and then three years later, we had twin baby boys, and finally then we got our girl. So we have a family of four. Oh, God that has is... been good. Yeah, but I, I want to go back to Brian, though. So he was only about a, a day old or so when complications happened? Yes, he was born uh, just before midnight, and we lost him about 10 o'clock the next morning. Wow. That had to have just been unbelievable, especially with the struggle that you had had in the pregnancy and then get to the finish line and to hold him in your arms and then know. I did get to hold him in my arms. That was one thing that hurt me the deepest. I was never able to hold my baby. The doctor came in the next morning and said, Jeanette, we're having trouble with your baby. And uh, they had already called in a specialist and were working over the baby. And so I never had the opportunity to meet my little boy. Wow. You know that when... You, I will. you will someday, yes. But that wouldn't, you know, with medical, with the medical advances and and et cetera, medicine, that wouldn't happen today. Well, I I did see my doctor a few years later, and uh, she said, Jeanette, if if your baby would be born now, I think we could have saved him. Mm-hmm. They did do an autopsy, and it came back saying no known cause of death. 
So even with that, they didn't discover what it was that took our baby. So the questions just linger there. And and my question to you then is, did you cry out to God and say, why? Did you want to know why? Um, the lament? How did you, you know, that? I had had an interesting experience before this. Just a few weeks before the baby boy was born, I had been praying, and I had told God, as I had many times before, that he's yours. In fact, I had written a poem about the coming of the baby, and at the end of it I had said, the day will come when I will return him to you. God grant it that he will be ready, is my cry. May he live in a manner that when, Lord, you an- he answers your call, come home, son. He can stand in your presence, undaunted, cleansed through the death of your son. And God did take him. Uh, I don't think that God took him because of my committing. I think God knew I was going to lose him and prepared my heart ahead of time. So I leaned heavily on that when the, it actually happened. Yes. So, so when, when Christmas comes around and you hear Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, something mm-hmm. happens in you as you think about that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. This was uh, this was just a holy moment that we've experienced there, Jeanette, and you sharing about little Brian. And uh, I want to thank you for doing that. I have some more questions for you. Jeanette Oak is with us today at the Radio Backyard Fence. She's sharing a little of the wisdom of her life, this long life that she has lived in the grace and the mercy and the love of God. I hope you're enjoying the conversation today at the Radio Backyard Fence. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. It's a happy early birthday to Jeanette Oak today at the Radio Backyard Fence. She'll be 89 in six days. So we're gleaning some wisdom from her life. Uh, Lisa Ann says, we, we mentioned this, How Great Thou Art, a minute ago. My first vocal solo as a nine-year-old girl was the third verse of How Great Thou Art. <laughs> so that's how you oh, impacted her life. Also, Francis says, June, Jeanette's sister, was married to our worship leader, John Wilson. Jeanette is, just, yeah, Jeanette is just as sweet talking in this interview as in her books, The Church's Liberty Bible in Chesterton, Indiana. Um, okay, so fast forward. Did you, did you always want to write? Did, did that ha- was that on the horizon? And did Edward say, hey, Jeanette, you ought to write a bunch of books? Well, yes to the first question and no to the second. I I did always want to write. Even as a child, before I could write, before I ever went to school, I would make things up orally. I would walk around our farm area and tell stories to myself. I tried telling them to my sister and convincing her that they were real, but she never did believe me. Anyway, it was a part of something that was always there. 
and as a school child, that was one of my favorite assignments where we got to write a story about something. And we had a great teacher who would put pictures up at the front of the class and we could look at them. Often they were Norman Rockwell paintings and you could see what had happened. You could see what was probably going to happen next and we could write a story about them. That was my favorite thing to do. I read a lot. My folks were both readers and they would read to us and our school teacher always read us a story after we came in from the noon break another chapter. So reading was a very important part of my growing up. What was the book so, that you remember yes, uh, reading as a child? Read. What what book did you read as a child that you still uh, sparked something inside you as you think about it? Well, as I, I think back to more of what my parents were reading to us, one thing we really loved was Lassie Come Home, we would cry through it every time and then ask for it again. And there was another book that my mom read uh, about a little bear cub was, and by the name of Brownie, and that also we read over and over. But there were a lot of the classics of the time, like the Anna Green Gables books and several others that our teachers read through to us. So we did get quite a bit of uh, what was available at that particular time. And then I went through my teen years. And in my teen years, I became very interested in the early settlers of the area of the West, both on the U.S. side and on our side. And we were much behind the U.S. So I wrote a lot, read a lot of Westerns uh, and that was the way I was getting information about how the area was settled and the difficulties that they often went through. We had original settlers in our area. It was settled that much behind what the U.S. did. And uh, so I was very interested in all of this. And I think that's why when I began to write, uh, I naturally went back to those days of the early settlers. Yes. If you go around Alberta, my home province, and look at the towns, the oldest church in town will tell you where the settlers came from, because they normally came in a cluster together, and they brought their faith with them. So in the town where Didsbury, where we lived for many years, and where the college was, they came from the east, and they were of a Mennonite background. The church went up before any of the homes were built. So it was very important as these settlers came west, knowing that they had very little and that they would be disconnected from the family back home to get established with their faith once again. So this is sort of the base that many of my stories have been built on. Um, My particular would... verse was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And I have always preferred the King James Version when you get to the end of that. 
He will make your paths straight. King James says, and he will direct your paths. Mm. I think there are many times in life where we don't feel like our paths are very straight. And things seem to not be going, uh, being settled and whatnot. But the King James says, he will direct your paths. And I think that is how I feel about what God does for us. He doesn't always straighten everything out for us, but he will direct us. And he will be there when we need him. And if we have him directing us, we know it's going to be okay. Hmm. So I'm very, very thankful for those verses of Scripture. And I think there are buckets of sermons in those few verses. Yes. You don't know this, Jeanette, but our friend that I mentioned a little earlier, Elsie Young, who lived to 105 and a half, every time she would come on, and we had her on you know, more than a dozen times over a few years, Every time she would come on, at some point she would get us to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it just permeated her life. And it sounds like it has done the same in your life. And uh, we've only scratched the surface. I mean, we could talk about so much more about everything. And the wild success with the writing that you had no idea what it was going to become. And you just were faithful to what God had given you to do. Um, but I wanted our listeners to hear you, hear just before your birthday, some of the things that have been rolling around your heart and your soul. Thank you for, for being real and honest with us today. And uh, I'm praying that there's somebody listening who will be encouraged by what you've shared. Thank you, Jeanette. Amen. My prayer as well. And God bless to everyone who has joined us today. Thank you, Fran, for coming alongside us at the Radio Backyard Fence. If you do not know the name Jeanette Oak and you've been listening to her all this hour, you can go to the website. You can go to her website. You can find out more about all the the success that she has had and the things that she and Edward have done together. And uh, last week I talked with her and she was talking about the Bible study that they have in the uh, place where they live now. So, you know, at 89, still going strong, and yet, and yet, winter is here, and that's okay. And I hope that encouraged you today. Come on back tomorrow for another conversation here at the Radio Backyard Fence. Maybe there's a voice of wisdom in your heart you want to share with us. Go to chrisfabrylive.org. Our program's a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.